Well, good morning again, everyone. If you have your Bibles, we are going to do one whole book this morning. If you uh, would, turn in your Bible to the book of Jude. To the book of Jude. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and we'll get one right to your seat so you can follow along with us. Look at, we're going to look at Jude. We're going to try not to make it bad. We're going to take a sad song and make it better. You know, I couldn't have passed that up. You guys know that. <laughs> now, seeing how we're, we're going to cover a lot of ground this, this morning, we might call it jumping through Jude, I guess. We're, we're going to look at the whole uh, chapter. There's only one chapter in Jude. But let's just look at verse 20 and 21, and then we'll go through each one of the verses, uh, verse by verse, as we get to them. But let's begin with Jude, starting in verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And that's the title of my study this morning, is Keeping Yourself in the Love of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together, Lord, to be in your word and to be in this place, Lord, where we can hear from you. Lord, any time we dig into your word, we know your Holy Spirit is there to teach us, instruct us, encourage us, exhort us, convict us. Lord, we invite the moving and the working of your Holy Spirit into our lives this morning as we Look to you and to your word. We pray your blessing upon our time. We pray, Lord, if there's anyone that has joined us that does not yet have a relationship with you, they're not, their sin is not forgiven yet, we pray, Lord, that they would come to know you and have their sin forgiven this morning. We thank you for our time. We commit it to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, maybe you've heard the story, or the poem, rather, about two frogs. It goes like this. Two frogs fell into a deep cream bowl, one was an optimistic soul, but the other took the gloomy view while drowned, he lamented, without much ado. And with a last despairing cry, he flung up his legs and said, goodbye. Quote the other frog with a steadfast grin, I can't get out, but I won't give in. I'll just swim around till my strength is spent, and then I'll die the more content. Bravely he swam to work his scheme, and his struggles began to churn the cream. The more he swam, his legs a flutter, the more the cream turned into butter. On top of the butter at last he stopped, and out of the bowl he gaily hopped. What is immoral it's easily found? If you can't hop out, keep swimming around. I would say that's the moral of our story today. We can't hop out of here, this world, so we need to keep swimming around. And sometimes we may feel like we're drowning, there's no way out, but as a, out of the mortal words of Dory the fish, just keep swimming, just keep swimming. Or as Jude puts it, keep yourself in the love of God. That really is the foundational theme of this wonderful epistle. Yet, Jude is going to warn us about certain false teachers that have infiltrated the ranks of the church. You might give the book of Jude a subtitle, uh, it would be the Acts of the Apostates. You know, we have the Acts of the Apostles, this is the Acts of the Apostates, because uh, really Jude describes these false teachers 
who are coming in with a wicked agenda, basically teaching that you could take the grace of God and pervert it and use it as a license to sin. And so this is where Jude really, like I said, wants to take a sad song and make it better because he wants to encourage the Christian, in spite of these false teachers, to stand firm in the faith, fight for the truth, don't give up, and keep on swimming. So I've divided our section of Scripture into two points. If you're taking notes, we're going to see two things. Number one, false teachers leading those astray. Number two, true believers keeping them at bay. But first, Jude starts off with an introduction. Look at verse 1. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ, Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. I love the fact that he lays out what we are in Christ. We're called, we're sanctified by God, we're preserved in Jesus Christ. And then he says, mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. I love that. Now Jude, understand, was a brother of James, the writer of the book of James. According to Mark chapter 6, verse 3, both Jude and James were half-brothers of Jesus. Now, it's always been interesting to me when you read the book of Jude that Jude didn't list his credentials when he started his letter. He didn't say, listen, Jude here, stepbrother of Jesus, you know, uh, Lord's half-brother, listen to what I have to say. No, he just looked at himself as, as Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. See, although James and Jude had grown up in the same household of Jesus, initially they did not believe that their brother was the Son of God. And you can imagine, I mean, imagine growing up with Jesus as your brother. You know, James, Jude, why can't you be more like your brother? Room's always clean, you know, bed's always made, always polite. And you can almost hear them saying to each other, Jesus this, Jesus that, why can't you be more like Jesus? It's no wonder they didn't believe until after the resurrection, because that's what it took. It wasn't until after the resurrection that we see them numbered with the disciples in the upper room, according to Acts 1.14. Here's my point. I think that sometimes we think that being nice to our neighbors, maybe mowing their lawn, bringing them over some cookies, or smiling when they drive by, that that somehow that's going to suddenly convert them to Christianity. Oh, thank you for the cookies. What must I do to be saved? Now, not that it's wrong to bring them cookies, but, but... But there's no nicer person than Jesus Christ. And his brothers did not believe on him until the cross, until the resurrection. That's why it's so important to preach Jesus Christ, his his death and his resurrection. Preach the cross. Preach Preach him being crucified. So you can wave to your neighbor for 20 years and wave him right into hell. Or you can take the time. And make the point to say, hey, you know what? Jesus loves you. He died on the cross for your sins, rose again from the grave. And if you believe in him, you can have eternal life and your sin forgiven. Well, Jude here tells us next why he's writing this epistle. And he brings us to our our first point, false teachers leading those astray. Look at verses 3 and 4. He says, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation... I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turned the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So Jude tells us, as he sat down to write this epistle, he wanted to write to them about the things they had in common with their salvation, the basics of the Christian life. 
And as he's sitting down and he's beginning to write, all of a sudden, evidently, the Spirit of God moved on him in such a way to go in another direction that he might sound a warning to the church about these false teachers and really encouraging the church to contend contend earnestly for the faith. I think we are much in the same place that Jude was so long ago, only worse. We are in a, a cultural and a theological fight of our lives. The Christian worldview is facing assault like never before. There's this increasing uh, pervasive godlessness and radical skepticism, especially in the area of morality and, and religion. And as a result, the moral rule book has been re, is being rewritten. Right has become wrong and wrong is right just as you know what a mark of the last days would be. That's why I believe Jews' words for us today are even more so much prevalent for us. Jude tells us, don't back down. Contend earnestly for the faith. You know, last night there was a, a fight, two battles between two, a boxer and an MMA, MMA fighter. You know, and it was, you know, I, you know, thousands of dollars. They made lots of money. And, and the, the boxer won, you know, the MMA fighter, and, and which everybody thought that would happen. But, 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 you know, you think they were contenders. They were contending. They were in this, this box. They were fighting one another. And, and that is what, what, you know, in that sense, we're, we're contending for the faith. Standing up for the faith. Fighting against those that would come against the faith. Verse 4 says, Because certain men have crept in unnoticed, ungodly men. That's where our fight, you know, why, why we're fighting. These men, these false teachers have crept into the church unnoticed. They're, they're creepers. Creeping in. It's just creeps. And uh, In fact, that word crept in, actually in the Greek, means to, to enter alongside. One commentator puts it to get in by the side door. You know, false teachers don't come, hey, I'm a false teacher, I'm coming in, I'm going to share with you what all my false, you know, they don't, they don't do that. They come in, they sit quietly, they, they, you know, then they come in the side, side door, you know. And really we've seen that over the years, false teaching has slipped into the side door and entered alongside of the truth, uh, all in the name of love and tolerance. Oh, we just need to be accepting. Jude tells us these creeps are the ones that, who turn the grace of God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I have to say that, that I'm, I'm appalled at, at churches that, that you know, started out solid and doctored solid in their walks with the Lord now have, because of false teaching has drifted away. And they have, you find many pastors today that calling themselves transgender pastors, homosexual pastors. How do we get that far? I mean, 20 years ago, I mean, 10 years ago, you wouldn't hear stuff like that. What's next? So these are, so here Jude is saying, these are those who claim to be speaking for the Lord, servants of Christ. And yet, according to Jude, he says, they're ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what Jude does next Verses 5 through 16 is to give us a lineup of characteristics that would mark these false teachers by, by citing examples from the Old Testament. Six characteristics that mark a false teacher that could easily lead us away and down that, that path of, of uh, you know, if we're not careful. And the first one that he brings up is that of unbelief. Unbelief. And Jude cites for us the children of Israel when they're about to enter the promised land. Look at verse 5. He says, but I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Remember, there was ten spies that were filled with unbelief, 
And their, their unbelief then spread throughout the whole camp and, and congregation of Israel. And then the people cried out, Oh, no, let's go back. We can't go. There's giants in the land. Yeah, God said that, that He's given us the land, but, but oh, no, we don't believe that. But we saw the giants. And, and unbelief, they left because of unbelief. And Judah's warning them that unbelief will keep them from entering into all the blessings that God has for them. Unbelief is, is, is a thief. It's, it's, it, that's the worst part. They say only those who believed God and took a stand on his faith and God's promises went into the land and enjoyed the blessings of God. But the others, we know that they died in the wilderness because of unbelief. And that's what unbelief will do. The next thing we see is pride and rebellion. Look at verse 6. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved an everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Now, Jude is mentioning here the angels that fell. And this is a reference to the angels that God created and the concept that they kept not their proper domain means that they rebelled against God. They turned against God and, and, and with Satan and they, they were kicked out from heaven. They were separated from God and removed from His presence. In fact, some of them, according to Jude here, they're so wicked that they're actually incarcerated. They're kept in chains until the great day of judgment. Not all of them. We know that some of them are, are around here as demons and are attacking us daily. But Satan, of course, is, is the one that led this rebellion. You read Isaiah chapter 14 and you see why. You know, it's the five I, I wills. You know, I will be lifted up. I will be as God. I will, you know, and, and so Satan in his pride and rebellion caused him and a third of the angels to rebel against God. See, pride and rebellion have led many away from the truth. Look what I have done. Look how I, look how, how you've not done it as well. And, 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 and that's what happens. The third example that Jude cites is found in the Old Testament is sexual immorality. Look at verse 7. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. You know, I like that, that uh, you know, we're, we're told what these things have done, what the cause of them are, but then we also told the judgment of God here. And I, but I like here that the New King James Version uses the word strange flesh. I'm sure there's a lot of strange looking flesh in Sodom and Gomorrah. I think of, you know, any big city today, you go into L.A. Or, or, you know, New York City or San Francisco or Palm Springs and all sorts of strange flesh. We know Sodom and Gomorrah's sin was that of sexual immorality. It says it. That, that's what we read right here. It's men and women that Jude says set forth as an example suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. They will be judged because of their sexual immorality. It's been quoted that Billy Graham once said, if God doesn't do to the United States what he did to Sodom and Gomorrah, then he owes Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. I won't go that far yet. I'm still praying for revival. I'm still praying for God's grace. But sexual immorality, as I mentioned already, it has crept into the church big time in our, in our culture, in our society today. And Jude says this strange flesh that has given themselves over to sexual immorality, he says in verse 8, he says, they are likewise also dreamers. They defile the flesh. They reject authority and speak evil of dignitaries. Man, Again, I'm looking at our culture today. I turn on the news and that's what I see all the time. These protests and, and these fighting, fights that are going on and, and false teachers speaking evil of dignitaries, disrespecting dignitaries. 
They protest against rules and those in authority. In other words, they're taking out of the police because the police represent authority. They take it upon men in high places. You know, they, the president, the governors, and the mayors are made responsible for anything that happens in the nation and state of the city, regardless of whether they're responsible or not. Oh, it's your fault. You know, the, 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 this, you know, the, the, the protest, the, you know, it's, it's the president's fault. It's just, no. It's men's evil's heart. That, that's whose fault it is. But we live in a culture where, where there's a loss of respect for authority. This is what Jude is saying at that time as well. Satan is working overtime. Now look at verse 9. Jude says, Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Now it brings up Michael the archangel contending with the devil. And, 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 and he says, uh, you know, he's speaking about these false teachers. He says, they defile themselves, they're filthy, they speak evil of dignitaries. And yet, in contrast, you know, as I said, we have Michael. Now, apparently Michael is the archangel. He's, you know, uh, specifically called an archangel. And he was having this contention with Satan, the devil. And it took place, evidently, over the body of Moses after Moses has died. Remember, Moses went up into the, to the hills, and that, that was it. We, we don't know, what, you know where he was buried or where he went or what happened to his body. I, mean, if I was thinking about this. Could you imagine if they found the body of Moses today? I mean, it would be crazy. People would be worshiping the spot where, where it was at. They would be setting up you know, uh, monuments and, and worshiping the grave of, of Moses. I mean, it would just be, be crazy. It would be out of control. But for some reason, and God knows why he's designed it, that we don't know where Moses' body was buried. We don't even know what happened to Moses at his death. But evidently, Michael does, and he was going to do something with the body, bury it, stash it, or something. We don't know. But it's interesting that it says that the Michael the archangel, indicating that there's one archangel, and that Michael was contending with Satan over Moses' body. And yet, notice that Michael the archangel didn't directly rebuke the devil. Even though Michael is this powerful, powerful archangel. He didn't say, I rebuke you, Satan, you get out of my face. You know, he didn't say, you know, Beelzebub, buzz off. You know, he didn't say that. No, all he said was, the Lord rebuke you. See, you always want to keep the Lord between you and the devil. You don't want to have a, a boxing mat, match with Satan. Come on, devil, I'll take you on and you box with the devil. Now, there are people, they go out there and, and, and for some reason they want to talk to the devil and rebuke the devil and tell the devil where to go and what to do and I think the devil just sits back and laughs. You know, uh, I rebuke you, devil. And he laughs. <laughs> That's my impersonation of the devil. Just a <laughs> I don't know if he laughs like that or not. But, but when you say, the Lord rebuke you. Man, that's when he trembles. That's when he flees. Keep the Lord between you and the devil. Man, if you go out against him on your own, you'll get beat up. But when, you know, when Satan comes knocking at your door, just... Lord, someone at the door for you. <laughs> and then the Lord will, will, will answer for you. He will. He'll, he'll fight the battles for you. Now again, back to these false teachers, those who have given themselves over to apostasy. Jude says, these guys in verse 10, they speak evil whatever they do not know. And whatever they know naturally like brute beasts, in these things they corrupt themselves. Woe to them, for they've gone in the way of Cain. Now this is the fourth example of the Old Testament, uh, that of Cain. What was Cain's problem? Hatred. Number four, hatred. Cain hated his brother and murdered him. And the way of Cain is to have a heart that's filled with hatred, a heart that's filled with, with jealousy and, 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 and retaliation and hatred. 
Jews said those that have, have gone that way of Cain, they, their, their hatred filled their, their hearts. Hatred is a, is a powerful weapon of the enemy. Next, number five, is greed. Look at verse 11. They have run greedily in the air of Balaam for profit. Now, this is an interesting story. If you recall, the king of Moab, Balak, came to Balaam knowing that he was a prophet. And he said, hey, there's way too many uh, of the children of Israel coming my way. And, and so would you do me a favor? Would you curse the children of Israel for me? Let, let's cut their, their numbers down. Now, even before Balaam asked the, Lord, asked, the Lord told him not to curse the Israelites, but Balaam didn't listen to him. And, and it says to Balak's messengers, he says to his messenger, hey, even if you offered me, let's say, a house full of silver and gold, I wouldn't curse them. Basically, he's saying, you give me some money and, and, and maybe we'll talk. And they came back and they offered him a house full of silver and gold and, and off he went to curse the children of Israel. However, along the way, his donkey started crashing into the wall, smashing Balaam's foot in the process. And so he starts beating the donkey and shouting, you dumb donkey, you crushed my foot. When all of a sudden the donkey turns and actually speaks and says, why are you kicking me? Haven't I always been a good donkey? Maybe he said a donkey? I don't know, like that. It's an amazing thing. God actually allowed this donkey to speak. Now, what's even more amazing to me is not that the donkey spoke, but that Balaam didn't miss a beat and spoke right back to the donkey. Instead of just freaking out over a donkey speaking, he answered, I'm kicking you because you won't move. This conversation going on. Then all of a sudden, Balaam looks up and he saw why his donkey wasn't moving because an angel was blocking their way. And Balaam was reminded that God was telling him to speak only what he would put in his mouth. But because of greed, Balaam didn't listen. He didn't listen. And later he would tell Balak that he can't curse the Israelites, but if they would send the Moabite senoritas in with them, with their little false gods, then the Israelite men will see them and get involved with them and will start to worship the little gods of Moabite women and then God will judge them. And that's exactly what happened. But Jude's point is that greed is a huge factor with false teachers and have brought many men down, and we certainly see that today as well. So we have five things so far. Number one, unbelief. Number two, pride and rebellion. Number three, sexual immorality. Number four, hatred. Number five, greed. And then Jude brings us to the end of verse 11 with the rebellion of Korah. Look at verse 11. Woe to them, he says, for they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the air of Balaam for profit, it says, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. What was Korah's sin? That's number six, envy. Envy. Now, we find his story in Numbers chapter 16. Korah came along and said, hey, Moses, who made you the big kahuna, the top dog? You know, I have just as much right to, to, to determine direction for our nation as you do. You're not the only one that can lead and run the show. And I, I'd be much better at the job. And that's when Moses says, oh, you think so? All right, fine. Then everyone with Korah stand over there and everyone with me stand over here and let God decide who was chosen. And just then the sinkhole just suddenly appeared. Whoosh, and they're gone. I mean, they're just, just like that, gone, radical. Why? All because of envy. Man, here's an easy way to find yourself in a sinkhole. Be envious of another person's position and then rebel against them. Here's what we need to know. Some people are always going to do better than us. 
Girls, no matter how beautiful you are, you're going to meet a girl prettier than you. It's just going to happen. Guys, no matter how smart you are, how strong you are, you're going to meet a guy smarter or stronger than you, no matter how successful you are in business. Someone else is going to come along and in less time do more than you have done over your entire lifetime. No matter how successful you have been in ministry, someone else is going to come in and be more successful. So what are we we going to do? Are we going to go around being envious of everybody else because they're more successful? Or can we rather rejoice when others succeed and actually say to the Lord, Lord, you've given me more than I ever deserved. You've given me more uh, beyond that which I could ask or think. And I refuse to let jealousy and envy ruin my life. Now, this doesn't mean that we shouldn't want to be all that the Lord would have us to be. But that we should be aware that envy can creep into our lives and rob you of the blessings of God in your life. So these six characteristics of these false teachers that dominated their lives, unbelief, pride and rebellion, sexual immorality, hatred, greed, and envy. I mean, Judah's not candy-coating this. He's telling it like it is. And then to top it all off with these false teachers, look at verse 12. He says, these are spots in your love feasts. While they feast with you they, without fear, serving only themselves, they're clouds without water, carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots. They're like raging waves of sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Oh, dude, you're so intolerant. You're so judgmental. No, he's telling it like it is. And he says, listen, judgment is coming. Count it blackness and darkness forever for all eternity. Could you imagine? Apart from God and just darkness and blackness for all eternity by yourself. And then he gives proof to the judgment that is coming to them. Look at verse 14. He says, Now Enoch the seventh from Adam prophesied about these men, also saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. Comes with ten, and then verse 15. Why? To execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly, among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Jude says, watch out. God is going to judge every ungodly deed which they have committed. Now what's interesting is that Jude quotes uh, here Enoch. Now, you recall Enoch in Genesis chapter 5, verse 24 says, And Enoch walked with God, and he was not for God, took him. The first example of the rapture of a man ever. I mean, he was the first to be raptured from the earth before the flood. Really a picture of the rapture of the church before judgment. But here in Jude is the only place in the Bible where we have this reference to Enoch, who prophesied of the second coming of Jesus Christ, uh, when he says, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints. Now, we know that the book of Enoch is known as an apocryphal book. An apocryphal book is a book whose authorship is questioned and has not been brought in and accepted as a part of the canon of Scripture. There's doubt to its authenticity or its inspiration. So this book of Enoch is an apocryphal book of Enoch as such. Now, Jude, no doubt, was aware of this statement of Enoch from somewhere else. This book of Enoch, the apocryphal one, does have the statement in it, but the book of Enoch that we have didn't show up until after the second century. So whoever, whoever wrote that book actually took it from Jude's words here and made it look like, you know, it was the book of Enoch and, and looked like it was an authentic book. 
But it was not. But somewhere Enoch did prophesy that the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints and he's coming to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds. And then he goes on and he explains that they are, in verse 16, grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lust, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. Man, and that's what we see in our culture today. I mean, you got the, 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 the far left and they're just coming up with, with they're all into the sinful actions and, and they just play into each man's emotions and then they start buttering one another up and, and flattering one another and talk about how wonderful they are and living these ungodly lives in, in, in according to their own lusts. And I think Judah's done a pretty good job in describing the culture in America today. But then this brings us to our responsibility. It brings us to our Second point, true believers keeping them at bay. How do we deal with the culture that is always trying to pull us down and cause us to have unbelief and pride and rebellion and sexual immorality and hatred and greed and envy? What Jude tells us in verses 17 through 25, the key is to keep ourselves in the love of God. Again, to just keep swimming in the love of God. And it begins by reminding us that Jesus said it would be like this. Look at verse 17. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. How they told you that there, there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lust. These are sensual persons who cause divisions. And this is very important to note. Look, he says, not having the Spirit. Okay, these were not believers that have walked away. These were, were not believers to begin with. They weren't once believers and then fell away. They never were believers to begin with. They were never truly born again. And Jude said, remember, the apostles said there would be those who would mock us and the gospel we would share because they'd, they'd want to live after their own ungodly lust. But in contrast, look at verse 20, and here's the key, he says, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, Unto eternal life. What, is verse, what does Jude mean when he says in verse 21 to keep ourselves in the love of God? Is there something that you can do that would stop God from loving you? Let me tell you, the answer is absolutely not. There's nothing that you or I can do that can stop God from loving us. Somehow we get the idea, well, if I've been bad and a real wicked person, then God doesn't love me anymore. But if I'm doing really good, then, then God's going to love me a lot better. Listen, you know, as a parent, that that's not true if you have kids. You love your kids equally. Now, there are times when you know that your children may, may not be pleasing to you. They may not be doing what you want them to do, but whether they are obedient or not, it doesn't change or diminish the love that you have for them. It may change your relationship to them, but it doesn't change your love for them. So it's wonderful for us to know that as a child of God, there is nothing I can do that will ever cause God to stop loving me. You can rebel, you can turn against him, you can sin against him. Now, you may grieve him, and you certainly can break his heart, but you can't stop God from loving you. So when you think of it in terms of the love of God, you have to understand that God's love is, is uninfluenced. It's not influenced by anything that I do. Now, the other side of that is true as well. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more than he does. Oh, God, I'm really going to pray more this week so, so you can love me more. I'm going to really read my Bible more this week. Or I'm going to share my faith. And, you know, I'm going to help the little old lady across the street, whether she wants it or not. You know, I, Lord, I want you to love me more. It's all nonsense. Nothing you can do to make God love you more or less. That's absolutely no way that you can make God love you more. God, listen, God is love. And that's the truth to us this morning. God loves you perfectly and completely 
and so intensely that there's nothing you can do to make him love you less, nothing you can do to make him love you more. So then what should you do? Let him love you. Let, let, just receive his love and enjoy his love and bask in his love. So then what does Jude mean when he says we're to keep ourselves in the love of God? I believe that what Jude is saying is that we need to keep ourselves in that place where we can experience God's love, enjoy the benefit and the blessings of the love of God. Because these things that we've looked at can separate us from experiencing the love of God. Unbelief and sexual immorality and pride and hatred and greed all will keep you from experiencing the love of God. It's not going to keep you, God from loving you, but, but it's going to keep you from, from experiencing His love. I mean, you know this again if you're a parent and you have a teenager and they rebel and they move away from home. Man, they're giving up a nice bed that they have, a you know, roof over their head, they have food that, you know, to eat, but they're running away from that. Now, you still love them. They may be living out in the street and in a park somewhere eating out of a trash can. They're hungry and cold and, and lonely, and yet back home they have a mother and a father who loves them. What's happened? They removed themselves from that place of receiving and experiencing the benefit in that love. And so the same thing can happen to us as believers if we can remove ourselves from that place we can ex- and, and not experience the blessings of God. That's why Isaiah says what he says in Isaiah 59, verse 1 and 2. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated you from your God. See, at that point, we're no longer sensing God's love. You say, well, I don't sense God's peace. I don't have his joy anymore. I don't sense his presence in my life or his power. I don't know what's going on. Well, have you thought about maybe there's something in your life that you need to confess? Maybe there's some unbelief or greed or sexual immorality. Maybe it's hatred or rebellion. Listen, God wants to pour out his love and blessings on your life, but we have to make sure we're right with that we keep ourselves in the love of God, to stay in that place where we can enjoy the blessings of God. Finally, in these last five verses, verses 20 to 25, Judah's going to give us five steps in keeping ourselves in the love of God, and then we're going to close with this. Look at verse 20 again. Jude says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith. So number one in keeping yourself in the love of God Build yourself up on the most holy faith. How do you do that? By reading and studying God's word. By being in God's word. By the word of meditating on the word. Reading the word. Studying the word of God. Then the second thing you need to do to keep yourself in the love of God is number two, pray. Again, look at verse 20. Jude says, you need to be praying in the Holy Spirit. Now what does that mean to pray in the Holy Spirit? Now I do believe in the gift of tongues. I believe that they're for today. And, uh, and, and I do believe, uh, but I don't believe that you have to pray in tongues for it to be considered praying in the Holy Spirit. Again, I do believe speaking in tongues, and I believe it's a gift for today. But, but listen, I believe praying in the Holy Spirit can also mean you're praying with the Holy Spirit's leading and guiding and power and direction as you pray. That you're surrendering your mind and your heart to the Lord and your thoughts and saying, and you're inviting the Holy Spirit, Lord, to guide you and to lead you in the very things that you need to be praying for. So when you're praying, your prayers are actually prompted by the Holy Spirit. And it's the Spirit of God that brings to your mind the attention of things that you need to be praying for. The Spirit of God is directing you. You don't just go off the deep end praying for all of your whims and desires, your greeds and your wants. You say, oh, Holy Spirit, guide me, direct me in what you have me to pray for. Now, the Word of God and prayer go together. They work together in your life to keep you in that place of enjoying God's blessing. Then number three, uh, in keeping ourselves in love of God, we need to be looking for and anticipating the return of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Look at verse 21. It says, Keep ourselves in the love of God, 
looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. So the third step, keeping yourself in the love of God, looking for Jesus' soon return. It's living in the light that Jesus could come back at any moment. I mean, if you truly believe that Jesus could come back right now, that he could come today, right now, right now, right this, this minute, right now, then you're going to be living in such a way that, that you're going to keep yourself in the love of God. You're not going to have the bitterness and the hatred and the, and the greed and the immoralities come into your heart, into your life. Listen, do you realize Jesus Christ could come back this very afternoon? He could come back before I'm even done with this Bible study. And you're saying, as long as you're taking time, I think you're right. I believe. But here's my point. With that awareness and that understanding that the rapture could actually happen at any moment, you're going to want to know if there's any known sin in your life that you need to confess so you can repent and turn from that sin in your life and get your heart right before God. So that when you wake up tomorrow morning, you could start out your day by saying, Lord, you could come today. I am ready. This could be the day, Jesus Christ, you could return. Lord, please come quickly today. See, we should be living every day with a sense and anticipation and the readiness that today just might be the day that Jesus would come back. This might be the last opportunity that you have to share with your friends and witness to your friends at work. This may be the last opportunity that you have to show kindness or love to someone or to serve them. And that's going to be the thing that's going to motivate us to keep ourselves in the place of the love of God, looking for, uh, for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life, Jude says. Then number four, in keeping yourself in the love of God, we need to be sharing our faith. Look at verse 22. Witnessing about the love of Jesus, he says, And on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. So if we want to keep ourselves in the love of God, we need to have a witness. We need to be out there telling other people about Jesus. And then Jude says there's a couple ways you can do that. For some, you need to show compassion and love and tell them Jesus Christ loves you, died on the cross for your sins, rose again from the dead. If you repent of your sin, you know, you can be, be set free, forgiven, and, 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 and made right with God. And there are others that you gotta say, listen, you're going to hell in a handbasket, buddy, and, and if you don't repent, you're gonna burn in hell. And, uh, I mean, that's the way it is. And, and, and for them, I mean, whoa, that freaks them out. But see, that's what they need to hear. They need to actually hear, then tell them about hell. See, there's been times that I've shared with people before and, and, and it's not enough just to say, hey, Jesus loves you and he died for you. You can have peace and love and joy and, and it's really neat to be a Christian. You've got to really tell them, hey, listen, there's a place if you reject Jesus Christ, you're going to end up in hell. And hell is a place of, of weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a place of torment if you reject Jesus Christ. And sometimes we need to be telling people that. People say, oh, well, he's one of those hellfire and brimstone preachers. No, but yes, sometimes. I mean, <laughs> when, when the Spirit leads. Again, having compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. That's why some people need to hear about hell and some people need to hear about God's love and grace and mercy. But the idea is that, that there's witnessing going on, that we're telling others that, uh, about the love of God. And, and I may ask you, when was the last time you shared your faith? I think we all need to challenge our hearts. Lord, I haven't shared it lately. Give me new boldness. Give me new courage. Help me to speak. Lord, I want to go out Friday night with the Go team. Give me the courage to go out and share my faith. And when you pray that prayer, God will answer that. 
Lord, you, Lord, give me a divine appointment for me to share my faith with someone. God will answer that, that prayer, be it in a grocery store, someone at work. God will, God will provide that divine appointment. And finally, number five, to keep yourself in the love of God, you need to trust in God to keep you in his love. Look at verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present your faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Understand, it is God who keeps us. We want to keep us ourselves in that place of God's blessing, but it's God who's keeping us. And I love the promises of God here. God is able to keep you from stumbling, from falling. But I truly believe we must trust in God's grace and mercy to keep us from, from falling. And I'm so glad that God, up to this point in my life, and I pray till He takes me home, that, that, that He keeps me, I continue to keep me by His grace. I can't keep myself. Because I believe there's times in my life, there's times in your life, that we're inclined to turn away. We're inclined to, to go down that path that we've looked at. Those things we've looked at. I'm so thankful for the keeping power of God for sustaining His keeping. And I love these verses that we find in God's Word that talks about God's ability to keep us, that He is able. He's able to keep us from falling, Jude says. Paul says in Ephesians 3.20 that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. I love that. Paul also said in 2 Timothy 1, verse 12, For I know whom I believed, I am persuaded that He is able to keep what I have committed to Him until that day. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 7, verse 25, He is also able to save to the othermost those who come to God through Him. He is able, He is able, He is able to keep us. He's able to save. A generation ago, baseball player turned evangelist Billy Sunday preached from his text, this text saying, God can save to the guttermost. I like that. Maybe you feel like you're in a gutter today. Take heart. God can save you. He can save me. He's able. And again, I love these verses that speak of the ability of God to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. You know, that's, that's what's going to happen when we stand before God in Christ's righteousness. We're going to be presented faultless as if we hadn't sinned. And we're going to be presented with joy, exceedingly joy. I can't wait. And then Jude closes with this doxology. Look at verse 25. It says, to God, our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. I love that. To God, our Savior. He is God. And He is our Savior, Jesus Christ. And He should be the Lord of our lives. He says glory should be given to Him. We should glorify Him. Tell how great He is, how wonderful He is, how mighty He is, and how mighty He is to save. He is majestic, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He is mighty. All power is given to Him in heaven and on earth. Listen, the universe is not slipped from under His control. All authority belongs to Him and whether we like it or not, we are all going to bow our knee before Him someday. You see, these days of apostasy, we as God's children need to bring glory to the name of Jesus Christ to hold Him up before an evil Christ-opposing and rejecting world. What a great doxology, giving praise and glory and honor to Jesus Christ, our God and our Savior. I tell you, as we live this way, we will keep ourselves in the love of God. Listen, as we close this morning, I want you to know that the one consistent thing that we have in this life is that God loves you. 
You can't change that. Nothing you've done can separate you from the love that God has for you. But if you've never surrendered your heart to Jesus Christ and received the forgiveness of your sin, you've not really experienced and known that love and what God's love is all about. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's God's love. And if you've not given your life to Jesus Christ, I encourage you this morning, don't leave here without making that commitment to Him. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for Your Word this morning. Thank you for the things that we can examine in our lives, Lord, and and to know what we need to stay away from, Father. But also know that you are able to keep us in that place to experience the love that you have for us. And Father, I pray that we we, we would continue to contend for the faith, Lord, that we would not slack off, that we would not backslide, but we would continue to keep swimming, keep ourselves in that place, Lord, where we can be used by you, God, to witness, to share faith, to point Christ to this world around us. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Empower us to do that which you've called us to do, we pray. We thank you for this time, Lord. Bless our week as we go our way, Lord. Give us those divine appointments, we pray. Help us, Lord, to keep you in our hearts and our minds in the forefront of our thoughts each and every day, to wake up each and each and every morning believing, Lord, that today could be the day that you could return for your church. We wait in anticipation for that day and for that time. And it's in your son Jesus' name that we pray and we look for. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand.